speed, agility, power. I'm a big fan of these things. All of the performance I demand for myself on the ice is here. Handles all of my needs in dynamic fashion. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of Roxy Fever. I am your host, Jax McDonald. Uh, Elliot is with me today. Vias Hello, everyone. is uh, on sabbatical, I guess. He's, uh, I don't know, doing some lawyer thing, uh, I guess, uh, writing some kind of last minute uh, exam thing. So uh, in the meantime, to uh, satiate the uh, appetites of our listeners and not go like three weeks without doing an episode, uh, Longtime frenemy of the pod, David Quadrelli, is here uh, to break down a couple of things with us, uh, particularly, I guess, the the draft and free agency. How's it going, Quads? Good. I'm doing well, and I'm here to break down more than a couple of things. It's three stances, if you remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, three things. The three stances. Up, down, side to side. <laughs> Absolutely. You nailed it. I, I guess Hell I yeah. don't have to do the hit anymore. Ah, fuck. Well, it was nice having you here. Uh, where can the good people find you? No. Um, anyways, uh, obviously, it's been um, it's been a while since we've recorded, largely because we were, I guess, sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop uh, with regards to JT Miller. Obviously, there's not or just trades in general, I guess. Obviously, there's nothing to really talk about on that front because nothing has happened, but um, I do just want to briefly touch on it. Uh, Quads, what do you make of like the lack of action on, I guess, mainly JT Miller, but on just on the trade front in general, they, there was reports that there was something going on with the aisles reports that they were looking to add a second round pick, but nothing really materialized. Okay. So this is what I know about this situation. And I know there's been some different reporting on it, but like, I I'm pretty confident. I put this report out a while ago and I, I don't know if things have changed since then. I think it was about a week ago that I said this, but as far as I know, things haven't changed. And what I'm being told is that, you know, the offers the Canucks are getting are so bad that not only did Jim Rutherford go out an hour after I made the report, and I'm not saying this because he heard it or anything, but he goes on the radio and he says, we haven't gotten any offers for JT Miller. So that just shows you that what teams are talking about with the Canucks isn't nearly enough. And I know there's been some talk that, oh, well, it's been similar to what they got from the Rangers at the deadline that they turned down. And of course, that was the Heedle, Lundqvist, and a first package, a traditional trade deadline package that we saw. And to my knowledge, it hasn't come close to that. And I think that's where the Canucks are really, you know, hanging on to Miller. And we're seeing all this posturing, right, with the, well, we can extend them. We don't have to make a decision until next trade deadline. I, I was listening to um, Sat today talking about it. And, you know, his handle on the situation is, has been pretty good from the start, from what I understand. And basically what Sat was saying was just that, look, like, they may say that, but I don't think they want to enter the season and have to make that decision at the trade deadline. Like, you want to have something made up on Miller before that. And, again, that's not even just the media talking. Like, what we've kind of – gone under the radar with a little bit is that 
look, Jim Rutherford, when he was on the DFO Rundown podcast, like he said himself, he said, we'll have a good idea of where we're at with Miller at the draft. And everybody heard that and everybody ran with it and said, oh, he's getting traded. There's no way he's getting extended. Because not only did you hear that, but then right before the draft, you hear we're far apart in an extension. I don't think it's going to be possible. I believe that was said by Patrick Alvin, or he said we're very far apart. I don't know if he said it's not possible, but he did say we're very far apart. So the writing's on the wall. He's getting moved at the draft. We hear about this deal with the Isles that you brought up, Jackson, and now all of a sudden it's, no, we never said we wanted to trade him. That's just the media saying that. It's just, sorry, you, you set out a deadline that you would know where you're at, and maybe internally they do know where they're at. But right now, it really just seems like they have no idea where they're at with Miller. And, and if they do know where they're at, they're really not making it known to anybody. And again, you have to assume that that's also not being um, made known to the teams that they're supposed to negotiating trades with. So you kind of, I don't know, like I, I talked about this before and I know they're only eight or nine months in or whatever it is, but like, I, I've talked about this before that, you, you know, you have to, at a certain point, I get the patience. I get, you gotta, you gotta preach patience because the path management regime screwed up so bad. And I, I'm not trying to pin um, any of, or all of the problems that the Cucks currently have on this new management regime, but it's just like, come on, at some point you have to start looking at what they're saying and just holding them accountable to it. And I think that's all I'm really doing here is just saying, look, like they said they would know where they're at with Miller at the draft. Draft's over, free agency is over, and we still have no idea what's going on. Yeah, well, I'm glad you, I'm really glad you brought that up because like I, over the past week, I've felt like I'm going crazy because I, I don't keep as close tabs on this stuff as you do, obviously, and certainly not like, when it comes to what uh, a given, you know, like management or ownership or whoever is saying, because I just like, I, you know, I don't do it full time anymore. I don't have the uh, time or the energy to. And um, more to the point, like they lie. Well, yeah, that's the, that's a big one. Like, they, like first of all, yes, they lie. And then, and then be like, like now actually with what Claude said mm -hmm. that they got offers that don't mean anything to them. That actually makes a lot of sense because that, actually makes sense because that was a terrible sentence but yeah no i if the Isles offered saying. them basically nothing then it makes sense that rutherford would go out and say yeah we haven't got any offers because you didn't got you don't have anything that resembles an offer you would you, accept you didn't get an offer that you would take seriously basically. yeah yeah and it's not even yeah. a starting point and obviously so i don't hang on on every word that these guys say largely just because like the the press conferences often you don't get anything interesting from them. And so it's a lot of effort to put into like, I mean, I, I, this is why I do respect beat reporters so much is like, they got to go and talk to everybody every day. And most of the time they don't get anything really. Like maybe you get a quote, you can use it in an article from a player or something, but like so much of the time, it's just an exercise in people just saying nonsense, like totally devoid of content. <laughs> statements and then you know you, you have to fucking like act like there's something to be gleaned from them but i'm i'm really glad that you pointed this out because yeah over the past week or two i felt like i was going crazy because i i you know we now hear them saying like you mentioned like oh uh we can wait until the the next trade deadline or we don't mind bringing them into camp and i was i was certain like that's moving the goalposts like that's not what yeah. you said last time and to to Elliot's point, like general managers, particularly good general managers, presidents, etc., 
lie all the time and they sh probably should. Um, and so I'm not like, uh, uh, I'm not frustrated by the, the fact that they've been caught in an inconsistency or in a lie or whatever. The, the thing that I'm frustrated by, or I guess more, a more apt word would be like concerned by is that they seem like they've been caught off guard by this. Like they, they seem as though their plan really was to know what they were doing with Miller by the draft and things kind of collapsed on them. And so I guess to that point, my next question would be, do you think they're going to come to regret not taking that package from the uh, Rangers, if it was indeed on the table, as it's been reported, which was what uh, Sunquist, a first and Heedle? Lung yeah, exactly. Or, sorry, Lundquist. Yeah, I don't yeah. know why I said Sunquist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Neil Lundquist. Uh, yeah, a first and Philip Heedle. And again, I think that throws that there was some talk of Kravtsovs as well. But like I've confirmed with people on both sides, actually, that that was an offer that was on the table sometime okay. in January. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah, like, not that he needs any backing up, but, yeah, like, that was a legit report from Seth. Like, that was 100% accurate. Um, and, and to answer your question, will they regret it? I mean, if you look at what they're being offered right now, <laughs> I would say, yeah. Um, but you know what I think they'll regret more, Jackson, is if they, if they wait till the deadline and Miller gets hurt or they're yeah. in a playoff spot and the you know the, the direct the direction from up top uh is to you know keep your leading score because we need we need to make the playoffs we, yeah. we want to make the playoffs you, you never know right and um you know just just for uh just for transparency when i say up top i don't necessarily mean ownership i could mean anybody yeah um, totally but that you know that that is that is something you have to consider is is you know the owner has wants the you know the president of hockey ops has to keep the owner happy right and, and again that's also um you know something you keep in mind is just that right now jim rutherford and we have to take him at his word for this right um has said that he hasn't had to manage up up to this point and you know he was asked about his relationship with francesco aguilini and if you recall jim benning in one of his final press conferences was like yeah, Francesco and I meet every day. We talk every day. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> that was insane. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have to manage up. And then, and then Rutherford, on, on the contrary, when he said he didn't have to manage up, he's like, yeah, you know, Francesco and I go out for lunch once every two weeks, and that's about it. And it's like, oh, okay. So, like. Yeah, you know, that's a, good. The, yeah. the ideal the ideal answer to that question, what's your relationship like with the owner, is I don't have one. Yeah. yeah I, so, totally. so we, yeah, we go out for lunch once every two weeks. Pretty good. Not, not yeah. sounding too many alarm bells. Uh, assuming it's once again, assuming it's true, which, you know, yeah. you're always going to take this stuff with a grain of salt, but yeah. And, and for context, what Rutherford was talking about was when he said that, like shortly after um, that question was asked, I believe it was PJ that asked it, but shortly after, you know, he was asked, why don't you want to bring Bruce back on a three year deal? And he kind of just, he didn't like, sigh but he, you could tell he was being very earnest that he just said you know paying three coaches at a time or two coaches paying multiple yeah. coaches at a time when you don't need to because remember travis green is still getting paychecks yep, from this right. organization through one more year right yeah. one more year you're yeah. you're bang on with that so yeah. you know what rutherford said is when you're paying multiple coaches that's how you start having to manage up and he didn't even say it like it was an unreasonable thing, right? And Rutherford's been around for years, right? And, you know, clearly this isn't something that's exclusive to Francesco Aquilini, which we already know, right? But 
you know, like Rutherford said, he's like, when you're paying multiple coaches and making these decisions with someone else's money, that's how you have to start managing up. And that's why you have to start managing up. So it, 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 it seems like it's something Rutherford's conscious about that, you know, he wants to, you know, be able to do whatever he pleases with this team, basically. And look, like, you know, I'm not here to simp for Francesco Arcolini by any <laughs> no. means, but yeah. I do want to say, like, you know, they're going out, they're getting the practice facility, they're finally updating the media room, they're updating the locker room, they're updating the gym, and basically Rutherford came in and just said, like, you know, this will help us long term. And um, you, you know, know Francesco, aside from the one COVID year, like. My issue with Francesco Aquilini has never particularly been that he's cheap. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that's an accusation you can levy at him fairly. It's about the only one you can't really like he. Yeah. He, like I said, aside from COVID where there were or, you know, I guess you could say maybe um, his some of his other business dealings. But like he's not known for necessarily being skimpy with money. Like he it's like you said, he spends the money on the practice facilities, not afraid to pay free agents, not afraid to buy people out necessarily pay multiple coaches. Like for all the issues that you could have with him. Um, yeah. I don't think being cheap is, is, uh, is one of them sort of interject there, but I did just, want no, to- absolutely. And it, just, it goes further to the point of like, wouldn't you be cheap if Jim Benning was squandering millions and millions? Yeah. Of your oh, yeah. Away? Like, I mean, we'd all, we don't get cheap at some point. You know what I mean? And, and again, that's what Rutherford's, try, I guess, trying to be conscious of when he says something like that is just mm. that, look, like, that's how you have to start managing up. And right now they have a good relationship. And, you know, hiring multiple coaches and, and you know, hiring a coach who you had for half a year and you invest long-term in him when you really didn't have to, clearly, as Boudreaux's coming back on the final year of that contract that he has, you know, like, that's how you have to start managing up. So it, it's a good thing right now, I would say. Um, I can't even remember how we got on this topic. But, <laughs> I, I um, can't either. It doesn't know, matter. It, it is a good thing that the relationship is what it is right now. And, and you can tell that Rutherford's trying to be conscious of that. So with uh, to, to circle back to, to Miller, um, I guess the I don't want to spend too long on this because it's something we can maybe uh, return to later with the Flames and the uh, incoming disaster. It looks like that's that's heading for Calgary. Um, but do you think there's any chance that like uh, at some point over the summer here, heading into the season, heading into training camp, like the Nazem Kadri uh, situation gets resolved. The Matthew Kachuk situation gets resolved and the offers for Miller start to come back and they can get something that they're uh, perhaps more closer to what they're looking for uh, in, in return. Yeah, I don't know, man. I hate talking about this. Like, okay. Yeah, no, I understand. (laughs) Faber refused to say his name. Like, we we called him he who shall not be named the entire episode. But but to answer your question, and I'll answer it earnestly, is like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, those situations are going to get resolved, and there's going to be teams who didn't get a seat at the table, and they're going to say, okay, sure, we'll take Miller. But but one thing I want to point out to you guys, uh, and I know the, um, the list of teams was disputed, but to my knowledge, like they do have a list from Matthew Kachuk of teams that he would sign long term with. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now, to my knowledge, the Canucks don't have that from Miller. And you know, there's there's been a lot of talk. I, I know Friedman talked about this, but 
you know, are the Canucks letting Miller talk extension with another team? PJ pointed out that this is a situation that the NHL long been wary of, that they don't want players to be able to basically dictate where they're traded to by, you know, just like, okay, I'll give you for an example. And let's use the Islanders as an example. Let's say mm. Miller hears he's going to trade to Long Island and he doesn't want to go there. He doesn't want to go play for the Islanders. And he says, okay, well, if you want to extend me, it's going to take a, uh, it's going to take an eight year, $10 million deal or something ridiculous. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, totally. Uh, and that, that's what he tells the Islanders. The Islanders aren't going to, Islanders are going to buck up for that. Right. Um, so, so I'm, I'm curious to see if the Canucks get to a point where they ask Miller for a list of teams that he would willing, be willing to sign uh, long-term with. And I, I'd be interested to see if his agent, Brian Bartlett, would be willing to uh, supply the Canucks with that, kind of how this situation's all dealt. One thing that I've kind of just started recently thinking about again, because before we talked about it, but then it was just Miller priced himself out of the trade market at the deadline. Nobody was going to buck up what he was actually worth in the kind of size. So one thing that I've kind of looked at is, okay, like, you know, obviously you want to extend Miller if you're trading for him, but what if you're Colorado and, you know, you're not limited on cap space, but you can't go sign nothing country, right? Yeah. What if you're Colorado and the Canucks say, we'll retain 50% of this contract for this season. That's JT Miller at like 2.5, 2.65, I think it was. JT at. Miller sure making exactly sub Antoine Roussel money. Literally, yes, literally, yeah. this is my point. So imagine you're at Colorado and you, you say, okay, what's the price for JT Miller if you're Colorado? Maybe you have to give up New Hook. Maybe, you know, Byron's probably priced himself out. I know there was those worries about his concussion problems, but look what he did in the playoffs. Byron's probably priced himself out of that market, but Colorado has the assets. That's the wild thing about Colorado is like they still could go out and, and you know, make a trade. They just don't have a ton of first round picks. We talked well, like- about all that. Isn't there, wouldn't there be, I know we're, we're totally getting into baseless speculation here, but like, wouldn't there potentially maybe be a fit there with Gerard too? Cause they're like, not sure how he factors into their future. That could be a potentially attractive piece for a team that desperately needs defenders. Like, Oh, absolutely. You know? yeah. Absolutely. You want to remake this defense and all, all we've heard is, Oh, OEL's practice on the right side a little bit. Oh God. And like, that's from like an unverified <laughs> Twitter account. We don't know what the hell's going on with the, the defense right now. And, uh, and the organization really likes Tucker Pullman for the three games that they saw him play. Yeah. Great. Uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's something to keep an eye on, but uh, yeah, like you're right. Like Gerard's a great fit. There's, you could go through any team basically and put together a right side that's better than what the Canucks have right now. Like your baseline is, are you better than league minimum Luke Shen? Like that's, that's basically the baseline for the Canucks top pairing right-handed defenseman. Uh, And again, that's not a slight against Luke Shen. I'm just saying like, that's how the Canucks blue line is constructed, right? They don't have, you know, they don't have many great pieces, especially on that right side. Like I, I would argue that you have, two, maybe three real top four defensemen. Like, you, you guys know I'm higher on Tyler Myers than most people, but, like, I sure. still rate him at best as a 4-5, right? Like, yeah. on a good team, <laughs> okay, Myers yeah. is, like, a 4-5, right? And, and, again, like, this is this is someone who, you know, he, sure, he stepped up big for the Canucks last year. He played those top pairing minutes. He played in a, in a big role for the Canucks, sure. But on a competitive team, that's not a legitimate top four lock, right? Like, that's a 4-5. No. Yeah. Um, you know, on a good team. And I think that's how you have to start rating this blue line. Uh, and obviously Luke Shen isn't a top pairing on basically any other team in the league. So, um, yeah. you know, that's kind of how you have to rate it is like you have two, maybe three um, real, real top four defensemen on this team. And again, like we, we don't want to get into it all on this episode, I'm sure. But like 
Jack Rathbone, um, I, I think, is going to be a top four defenseman for this team, maybe even as soon as next year. Uh, and I think the wow. team is actually starting to think that as well, which is why, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see OEL move to the right side to play with Quinn Hughes. Because then, mm-hmm. uh, if, you know, if you compare um, Rathbone with a guy like OEL, who we know is, is pretty competent in his own end and obviously, um, you know, has the defensive chops and is kind of like Alex Edler 2.0, it's a lot more expensive and a little bit younger. Um you know, that's an ideal pairing, I think, for Rathbone. And again, I think the organization is, I don't know if they're starting to think or if they've thought it for a while, but I think the organization does think that Rathbone uh, may be capable of playing those top four minutes next year. Like we heard Alvin say, like, Jack Rathbone's going to be here next year. So yeah. they clearly have a plan for this player. So let's pivot now to, um, I guess, the the next most important thing on the docket, which is free agency, where the Canucks didn't do uh, a ton necessarily, uh, you know, signing Dakota Joshua, which I think is like, uh, that's one of those things that, you know, if you need to hit an article count, great thing to talk about, but like not necessarily uh, a thing that's necessarily going to be that important or, or move the needle that much. I mean, he looks like, uh, there's a chance there that he could be a decent like fourth liner or whatever, but uh, don't care that much about that. Uh, Curtis Lazar uh, next sort of level up from that again, like uh, three years, ultimately a variable contract. And once again, like a, a sort of a thing where the upside there is, uh, is you like it for a million dollars over three years, like local guy, uh, can probably come in, be a pretty good fourth line center. It's the but, better version of the Jason Dickinson deal. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, better player, cheaper. Who, what's not to like? At the same time, would it surprise you that much if next year he's Abbotsford's first line center? And by next <laughs> year, I mean not this season, but the season after. Like, probably not. Um, no. It's not what they're intending, but it also wouldn't be a shocker, especially with a variable contract. So, obviously, the guy that I actually want to talk about. Uh, is Ilya Mikhaev. And it is Mikhaev, right? That is That seems to be... So, there's Turkey and I were talking this. about this today. Okay. And it's Mikhaev. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yes. In, right. in Russian, but I think yeah. it's the same thing as like a lot of players who've come over where they're just like getting North Americans to pronounce anything that's not English, like an English name or maybe a German name. You're just giving up. Yeah. So it's Mahiv. It's it's supposed to be Mahiv, but yeah, whatever. So it's so it literally doesn't matter because we're getting it wrong either way. Um, yes. All right. Well, uh, on that note, uh, with regards to getting it wrong either way, um, what do you uh, what do you make of the uh, Mikhaev deal? Yeah. Okay. Like. Okay. I'll get into that, but I just wanted to say something because sure. I knew what the term meant. I knew what Stockholm syndrome meant, but I didn't really get a full grasp for it until I saw the uproar when Yuho Lamico and, and Matthew Highmore <laughs> weren't qualified by the team. Like, how can you oh, let Yuho Lamico go? <laughs> and Matthew Highmore, what are you trying to do to me? Who's going to be on our fourth line? And then they go upgrade it like for the same price. And it was like, oh, okay, never mind. I see what you're trying to do now. Yeah. Um, so I, I did like those signs. I know they were small, but I even tweeted it today that like, Dakota Joshua is like probably my favorite signing that the organization's made in a long time. And I had a really funny exchange uh, with Daniel Wagner on free agency day. Cause I saw him at Rogers arena and I was like, I really like the Joshua signing. He goes, yeah, like his analytics are actually really good for what he did. And I was like, Oh, I just saw he was tall and, and weighed 206 pounds. 
And uh, yeah, that was my exchange about Dakota Joshua with uh, Wags. <laughs> Apparently, he's got the good analytics. Good underlying numbers too. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, so check all the boxes. And it, it, okay, so just the 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 thing about to to just tack on to what you said there, like. The, my favorite thing they did was letting Yuho Lamico and Matthew Highmore go. Like, I, 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 if there's one thing that has irritated me greatly about the Canucks over the past eight years, it's their attachment to players that, regardless of what you might think of them uh, in a vacuum, have not meaningfully moved the needle for for them. And and by meaningfully moved the needle, I mean like they're still outside the playoffs, right? So how Mm -hmm. good can their forward group be? And this is maybe a a good jumping off point, but like, you know, kind of starting to look like their preference might be to re-sign Miller if they can do it. Doesn't sound, doesn't sound like they're going to move Bo Horvat, right? Like that doesn't, that doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Um, that would like that would be so funny if after all that would be really funny. We have to trade the captain. Like, look, (laughs) like, what I'll say about Horvat is mm-hmm. say whatever you want about him on the ice. And I know they'll pay him for the on ice thing. Like there's a sure. lot of talk out there that Horvat's going to, you know, going to be more open, obviously to taking a hometown discount. Yeah. Uh, but the organization, and how can you not, right? Like they really yeah. do value what he brings off the ice as well. Of like course. his ability, you know, he's a kid from Rodney, Ontario, and he's, you know, able to speak about, you know, real heavy socialism. Yeah, it's true actually. Yeah, yeah. On the head. And really yeah. like, sounds sincere like it doesn't sound like Bohor has been given media training on what he's supposed to say to for lack of a better term make the libs happy he's you know he's really nice it's uh, hard to oh, yeah, find like, like he won't a... even go to thatcher demko's wedding because uh mrs demko is a candace owens fan and... yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like it's it's funny you say that but like if you actually think about it there's few like better fits for like a captain in a specific market and like especially with the the just like extremely wide diversity of Canucks fans. Like it's kind of with, with Bo Horvat, it's like the one guy in Vancouver who is universally liked and seems to be able to like thread the needle of like being like a good, you know, old school, like good old boy, good old hockey boy that is nevertheless, like, you know, gets asked about Don Cherry and is, and, is willing to be like, yeah, I thought it was pretty embarrassing. I thought it was bad, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. But I mean, just to 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 uh, to return to uh, to that point, basically, what I was getting at there with with just like, you know, okay, Horvat's going to stay. Miller might stay. Besser's not going anywhere. Um, you're coming back with so much of the same team. If you're going to come back with so much of the same team, you have to let guys like Lamico and Heimler go. You have to try oh, yeah. something else because how else are you going to improve? Um, and I guess the answer for uh, Patrick Alvin was signing Ilya Mikhaev to a four-year deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but the polite thing to do is to ask you your thoughts. about it. <laughs> so I guess, where do we start here? Like, I guess just what's term money, uh too much not enough well obviously you're not going to say not enough but like uh where do you come down on this deal do you think that the canucks came out ahead doing this okay so i've heard so many mixed things with makayev and look like i i kind of view this situation the more i kind of look at it like i view it as a move that was heavily driven by the canucks analytics department and they kind of look at uh, makayev as being a 
similar player to JT Miller in the sense of, hey, here's a guy who's not being utilized the way he would be on our team, and we think he can really take a step if he is on our team. And I think that's kind of how the Canucks view Mikhaev. And I, I mean, they're kind of also looking at it, I think, in the sense of, look, the cap's going to go up in two or three years, and in years three and four, this deal's going to look better than it does the day we signed it. And again, I don't necessarily agree that that's a good way to do that's, business. That has been a justification for so many bad deals. In yeah, this exactly. And that's why I say I yeah. don't think it's a good way to do business. And I, I, again, I even hear that brought up with the JC Miller thing, right? I don't think yeah. it's, well, this contract may suck, but it might not look horrible in the final years of it when the player kind of uh, trails off in age. And obviously, yeah, that and that's, the, apply. that's the other thing too. Like, like what's Mikhaev's big uh, asset, right? Speed. That's the thing everybody always talks about mm-hmm. with Mikhaev. Oh, he's got speed to burn. A thing that holds up really great as you enter your early 30s, <laughs> right? Like, definitely, yeah. if there's one thing that, that definitely doesn't age poorly, it's speed. Um, so, yeah, like, I mean, that justification is funny to me because it's like, well, yeah, in years three and four, when there's like, a, I don't know, one in four chance that the player won't be good anymore. The deal will only look as bad as it does now relative to how bad he is. Yeah, you know? exactly. And obviously and I'm being the- an asshole, but like, I also no, think I, I have mean, a point, right? Yeah, absolutely. And again, like, I, I here's the thing is I kind of look at the Micaiah deal and I know, you know, there were some people out there being like, oh, well, they just overpaid for a bottom six player. Nothing's changed. If you can't see the difference between Jay yeah. Beagle, Antoine Roussel, and like Tim Schaller, and Ilya Mikheyev, like, you're just wrong, right? And I think, yeah. you know, the Canucks view him, obviously, as a middle six player, and that's what he is. Like, let's be honest, we just went over the Canucks fourth line. I, you know, there will probably never be a day, maybe in year four of this contract, if something goes horribly, where Mikheyev's actually on the Canucks fourth line. I don't think he'll ever get yeah. to that point. I think you're going to see him, you know, be a really useful penalty killer. And let's be honest, their penalty kill sucked last year. Um, you're going to be, you're going to be seeing him on that third line, maybe, but you're probably going to be seeing him on the second line for, let's be honest, a good chunk of that contract. Right. And I think, sure. again, like I said, I think the Canucks think there's untapped potential there. And look, if you look at what he did last year, 21 goals and his line mates, I don't even know who it was. I think it was like David Camp and Pierre Engvall. Sure. That's pretty good for, for what he's playing with. Like that's pretty solid. And I, I like, look, if there's anybody who can get Jason Dickinson going, it might be. Mikhail. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's funny you you bring up like because we, we I think you were present for it in a in a group chat at some point this week. We actually had a discussion comparing Ilya Mikhaev and Antoine Roussel, and it's actually like closer than you might think, um, which is a which is kind of a scary proposition when you consider that like the Antoine Roussel deal was bad, and the you know and we're and there's like uh, a. It's funny because I don't remember it that way, but I think that's that is as David was saying, Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, because it was the least bad of that season's contract. Exactly. Yeah, and you and but it's one of those things. Where if you squint hard enough, you can see you can see a lot of similarities. But I guess like when I look at that deal, the the thing that I think basically is okay. So they're they're looking at their situation and they're going, "What's a thing we can improve right now?" And like, obviously the penalty kill has huge holes in it. And Mikhaev helps a lot in that regard. And then you look at his overall, overall profile and it's like good underlying numbers, 
um, like really good in terms of two way, two way play and defense. And I actually mm-hmm. think that is probably more what they signed him for than, than the 21 goals. If you look at the, um, when you look at the offensive profile for, for me, I get a little bit squeamish because like I see a guy who's never played more than like 50 some odd games in a season, not his fault, like not necessarily a, um, a longevity thing because mm-hmm. some of those injuries were really freak injuries and like, aren't going to come back to like, there was the, the, he like skate, like slashed his arm or whatever. And he missed like half a season. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's not his fault, but I do just look at like a guy and people are like, Oh, he's like a half point per game. And I'm thinking like, yeah, he's a half point per game over 50 games. Like that's not really a very big sample, you know, and you, yeah. it does make you wonder like what he's going to do over a full year. And then, you know, you look at, if you look at like rate stats, now the Toronto Maple Leafs are a pretty good team offensively, but you know, he's the, he's their ninth forward in um, regular forward. That is in like point rate at even strength. So like, I look at it and it it it's funny that you mentioned JT Miller because that's not a thing I would have thought of. Be- and that is a thing that gives me like hope um, because obviously they did a similar thing with JT Miller and regardless of like timing or whatever, it worked out really well. They got a player who got much better when mm-hmm. he got to Vancouver. Um, but I, I do, it just, I do scratch my head a little bit, worry a little bit about a guy who, like with that offensive profile where you're you're signing long term a guy who was a third line player on a team that routinely gets trounced in the first round. And I know once again, like this is my like old guy hockey take, because like that's not necessarily fair. Like the Leafs, I think like yeah, having behaves the problem with them not getting past the first round. It's <laughs> yeah. not that Tavares and Matthews are Ex- chokers. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's not, it, it's not a fair, like a fair, uh, uh, sur- survey of like his play necessarily mm-hmm. just all of these things together. Like it's certainly not as bad as something Jim Benning would do, but that also c- can't be the bar, especially yeah. after eight years yes. of Jim Benning, like, like you, the, the Canucks to, to do something with this core of players, like can't just be okay. They have to be really their management. I mean, like it has to be very good. And through this early stage of free agency here, like it kind of reminded me of um, the draft they had in 2019, where like, we know how badly, how bad their defense has been. We've, we know how much they've needed to address the defense for like almost a decade. And they had Mm -hmm. nine picks and they didn't draft a single defenseman. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what, what the last, like, you know, eight months or so under Rutherford and Alvin have been like too, is, you know, not necessarily it's still early, like patience, blah, 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 whatever. But like, it's been eight months and the thing you did was sign more middle to bottom of the lineup forwards. <laughs> like, like you get more time. Like I, I, I understand you haven't done much yet. So it's hard to know what the, what the, the, uh, what the whole is going to look like, you know, as opposed to just the, the, the individual parts or whatever, but like how long, can you go on saying like, well, it's still early. Well, you got to be patient. And before it's just like, okay, no, they haven't done anything. Like, 
what's going yeah. on. Yeah, like, and again, I, I got a little bit of backlash for it, and I get it whenever I'm, you know, you guys know I'm not really a negative. Certainly not. don't really have a negative take on the team, and I don't go out of my way to be negative. But, like, I said after the draft, I said, like, you know, I didn't really view that draft as a win for them because, look, the draft was the timeline that they set out, and we have no more clarity on the J.T. Miller situation. And, you know, look, this is aside from the fact that the, you know, aside from the Johnson Mackey pick, which, you know, is, is – you know, well regarded throughout the scouting community as a whole. And again, this is so perfect. I, now I don't even have to ask you about the draft, which is the next thing I was going to ask you about. This is great. Yeah, well, here you go. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, I, you know, I kind of looked at it and said, like, you know, I'm not saying it was a failure for them, but I just said, like, look, this is just something to keep an eye on that, you know, their goal was to clear cap space. They have multiple goals, right? They, yeah. you know, they wanted to add size. And if you look at it, out of the goals that they've laid out, the organization themselves, this isn't me putting words in anybody's mouth, nope. you know, they said they want to clear cap space. They said they want to get more sandpaper. Dakota Joshua brings you that. I don't care what Wag says about his analytics. That guy can hit. <laughs> sure, um, yeah. So you, you, you basically only address the sandpaper aspect and, I and only you, kind to, of only with yeah. a guy who might not be in the lineup ever, like that much you know yeah exactly Maybe. and like yeah. you know Curtis Lazar I obviously I take Curtis Lazar over Yuho Lamico I think I've made that clear uh, and a little and some episode. sandpaper there as well totally exactly yeah. and, that, and that's my point right is, is you know give them credit if they they said they wanted to go address the sandpaper aspect and they at least did that to some extent and obviously the cap space only clearing that we've seen was a, was a tidy piece of work, of course, with the Travis uh, Hamannick flipping to Ottawa for third. Still no idea how that happened. Um, and then, you know, but then you go get Travis Dermott, better player. Your, your organization feels is a better player than Hamannick and you're saving 1.5 million. So that's yeah. nice, but what does that really give you, right? Like, it, it, did it give you Curtis Lazar and maybe a bang of puck? You know what I mean? Like, totally. it, it, it didn't do much for them, but it was clearing Cassidy. So again, credit is due there. But my point is, guys, is that out of the goals they've set, they really just haven't hit many. And it was one thing that I just wanted to point out. And I, and I have been pointing out is just that, look, like they set out these goals, they haven't hit them. And the messaging is seeming a lot like, okay, these goals were harder to hit than we thought they would be. Because look, <laughs> yeah. it seems like nobody wants Tanner Pearson. Nobody wants Jason Dickinson. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say nobody wants Tyler Myers, but again, I think you know, even uh, Harmon and Drance had the take that like it makes more sense for the organization to keep Tyler Myers, and you know that's obviously a take I agree with. But look, like it's it's proving to be a little harder than they thought, and I think the organization you have to give them credit. They don't want to rush into making a bad move, but again, like if you keep playing a game of chicken, at some point the semi's gonna hit you in the face. All right, so I I got two more things I want to uh, ask you about. You got time? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the draft, um, I, I, you know, I look at that collection of players like I'm not a draft guy anymore, really. Like I didn't know who many of these uh, guys are beyond the first round. Uh, drafting Elias Pedersen, or sorry, Elias Pedersen, uh, is obviously hilarious. Uh, you know, I, they we picked a guy named Jackson in the sixth round, so you like that? That's cool. Yeah, I, we haven't had a moment like the Pedersen thing since there were two Sebastian Ajos in the same draft. Yeah, um, and they of course did not go to the same team. So, uh, you know, great, uh, great meme. Great to honor the legacy of Greg's Adams. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I look based on you know again like the very like bird's eye view of the entire draft. Like didn't look that different really from 
uh, any number of the the Benning um, drafts. Obviously, Lekaramaki, uh consensus seems to be that's a player that was supposed to be taken around that spot, maybe even earlier. So they do a good job there. But I guess just your capsule review of the Canucks 2022 draft, how'd they do? You don't have to get into the individual players, get into the weeds or all that. Just overall, how'd you think they did with the, what, six picks that they made? Yeah, I mean, look, they were, look, they wanted to get draft picks. They didn't really, they weren't really able to do that. And again, like, this all comes back to things are harder than I think they kind of thought it would be when they got yeah. here. Um, and look, like, I know a lot of that was complicated because the team went on that ridiculous winning streak under yeah. Bruce Boudreaux. And, you know, you finally rebuild the locker room trust. And you're like, no, we're going to trade everybody at the deadline despite you yeah. guys thinking you have a shot at the playoffs. So I understand it became a little more complicated than when Rutherford came in and was like, we suck. We need to blow it up. And I know he obviously didn't say that exactly, but no. it really seemed like that was what the plan was going to be. Um, you know, I, I know that complicated thing. So I try to give them some credit, but at the end of the day, like pretty underwhelming. And I'm not even trying to say that they could have drafted better players. I'm not trying to crap on any of their draft picks. I'm just saying like, it was a draft. They didn't make yeah. a splash. They, apparently we're talking with the Islanders about making a splash, but then something fell through something, something pissed off Lou Lamorello. It would seem based on his answer of uh, go talk to Vancouver. When someone asked him about what was going on with the Canucks, like they had an opportunity to do something. It seemed, and they just, they just drafted players. And I mean, it's yeah. not a bad thing to draft players. Like no, you can't go on a failure. I, I'm not trying to say like, oh, in the sixth round, I would have taken this guy instead of Jackson Dorrington or whatever it was they took. Yeah, it didn't look it like, like there was any like, like while I may have thought the picks seemed uninspiring, but it, it's also not like they took a Mackenzie Stewart or something either. Yeah, or like, you know, a Jackson Coons or like, you know, John Weisbrod wasn't at this draft. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that yeah. was just one thing that, you know, we kind of kind of saw was, you know, all these picks were kind of picks. Like there was no oh my gosh, why would they take this guy? Like it was, you know, it was a consensus, pretty, pretty fine draft for them, but I'm not ready to be like, oh, that was a win just because of all the other things that are plaguing this organization right totally. now. Like the organization's goal this offseason wasn't just go to the draft, make six picks and we're done. We're ready to go. Like you had a chance to do something at the draft and they elected not to. And again, like, you know, I, I'm fully, fully ready to be patient, right? And I know the word impatience was thrown around uh, very recently uh, in this market. And I don't think fans are impatient, guys. I think what we're seeing is just, oh, yeah. you know, and, and Cody Severson wrote a really good piece at Canucks Army uh, mm. for us on this. And he just said, like, it, what it really comes down to is Benning fatigue. Like, people are seeing the, well, we don't have to make a decision on Miller. And they're saying, oh, my gosh, they're going to let him walk for nothing in the name of eighth place or whatever it is, yeah. right? And they're, they're worried it's just going to be like Jim Benning again. But I still get the sense that, you know, the team isn't going to be operated in that same manner. Like, I, to me, everything that we're kind of seeing and, and, you know, being done, I still believe personally, and this isn't a report, this is just me be me believing something, is that this is all posturing and they do have a plan that they are sticking sure. to. It's just not clear what that is. Um, it's great because they won't get fined for tampering for telling everybody what their plan is. <laughs> but um, it, it, it just... It is something that we still have to hold them accountable for. I know they should get the benefit of the doubt for a bit, but I still, at the end of the day, kind of look at it and say, I still think there's a chance they'll do something, so I'm not trying to crap on anybody. I'm just saying I'm not ready to be like, look how good this management regime is in the yeah. way that maybe we were when we heard them speak, right? And we heard yeah. them lay out a plan. And 
um, you make know, good hires clear. and yeah, exactly. do some, and do some smart seeming credit. stuff in the first few months or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You give him credit yeah. for that. You give him credit for the Travis Dermott move. Like we, we've talked about all that. They deserve credit for that. But again, like I'm not, I'm not here to pat anybody on the back when all they've done is kind of stand pat. And again, who knows, maybe all this standing pat, but this is what I actually believe is that, you know, they're going to be standing pat until the right offer comes and they believe it's going to come. It's going to look bad if they get egg on their face and the right offer doesn't come. But who knows? We might all have to eat crow here and, you know, the evil Vancouver media will have to, uh, <laughs> you know, try and put some sort of spin on it. I don't know what the plan is yet. I haven't got the uh, directions from Tyson's Foods yet, but that's yes. kind of how I view it. It's just that, yeah. um, you know, they haven't done anything, so I'm not going to call anything a win yet, right? This offseason, like, I don't hate the Micaiah deal. Uh, sure. You know, obviously, I've, I've talked about uh, some of the other signings and moves they've made. But look, like I'm just I'm personally not ready to, um, you know, say it was a failure. And I'm also not ready to say it was a win. I'm saying there's still time and I'm not going to judge them until they actually do something. All right. So very last thing, I guess. Um, there are a lot of different directions we can go in with Calgary and what's going on with the Flames right now. Obviously, mm-hmm. they lose Johnny Gaudreau under strange circumstances we could spend a ton of time on that but ultimately like uh for me it's just like player wanted to sign somewhere else he signed somewhere else who ever knows why anyone wants anything who cares um the more interesting thing for me is matt kachuk who now apparently also doesn't want to sign long term in calgary um I guess uh, we'll do a serious question and a joke question. The serious question is, how does this affect the Canucks? The joke question is, is there even like a 1% chance we could see a uh, Matt Kachuk for JT Miller trade? (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) That would rock so hard. Um, I don't think Miller would want to sign long-term in Calgary. Having said that, though, they are a win-now team. And they if they're going to get, you know what? And if they're going to get nothing for Matt Kachuk at the end of the year, like maybe they're just like, well, fuck it. We'll take the, we'll take a year of 99 points at another playoff run and fucking just go for it. You know? Okay. I, you know what? I actually like, I'm thinking about a little more. Get to reunite with Chris Tanev. Get to reunite with Jacob Markstrom. Yeah. JT Miller yeah. kind of strikes me as somebody who might really like the Calgary Stampede. So yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not here to say it's not going to happen, but but the sense that I do get on this is just that like if Miller doesn't sign in Vancouver, it it might largely be because he doesn't want to play in Canada. Play in Canada. Like, yeah, that, of course. You know, and, and again, that's that's a right he has, right? Like you know, Johnny Gaudreau exercised the exact same right. This is what they have as free agents, right? So you know, he doesn't have to have to sign with anybody. So um, I kind of look at the situation and say like you know if if he doesn't want to extend in Vancouver, and who knows like this is all speculation because it might really just come down to money. And if Calgary bucks up, like they were willing to for Goudreau, then maybe it works out. So I, I would say there is at least a 1% chance, Jackson, now that you've got me talking about it. Um, but, oh, yeah. uh, but um, the other part of your question, which I actually can't remember now because now I'm, I'm racing. How does this the, affect, uh, how does this affect the Canucks? The, uh, I like, yeah. I like how the joke question was what I answered first. And then yes. I was like, wait, this makes more sense than I thought. Um, but, uh, that was how I was hoping that was going to go, honestly. Oh, it worked perfectly. But how it affects the Canucks. And it's funny because I actually wrote about this at Canucks Army today. Oh, nice. Um, okay, literally how it affects the Canucks. And how it affects the Canucks is just that, like, 
the Pacific Division is a lot more wide open. Depending what the Calgary Flames get back for Jordan Cairo, like they just lost a hundred plus. <laughs> you mean you player. mean you mean for Matthew Kachuk? But I see where you're Did going with that. Roll out Jordan Cairo. <laughs> they might get wow. Jordan Cairo. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was just gonna say you, you go out and you get Jordan Cairo from St. Louis, and you presume that's a place that Matt Kachuk would not mind playing and extending in. Yeah, if you get Jordan Cairo, like you're a competitive team again, and you know you're definitely not. And again, like I was trying to send some group chats today. I, I don't know why this is hard for people to understand, but I was basically saying like, look, if the Flames have Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk, they are a lock for the top three. Like there is a 99% chance that team is finishing top three. I'd give them like a 70% chance at finishing, um, you know, in first in the Pacific, right? And again, sure. like you, the Oilers, I think are going to be really good next season. But sure. what I did want to say is just that like, Basically, how I'm looking at it is I'm saying, like, okay, like, I would say the Flames aren't that much ahead of the Canucks if they're losing Matthew Kachuk, you know, and this is presuming, assuming that they would get futures um, and maybe, like, a middle six roster player, what, what have you, right? Sure, yeah. Um, in return, like... Like the really Ryan Kessler-type return. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> rate the Flames a lot higher than I would rate the Canucks right now. So, basically, what I said is what this means for the Canucks is they're no longer competing with um, you know, LA and Vegas for the third place spot, they are now competing with LA, Vegas, Calgary for second and third. Um, yeah. and you know, Opens, you can even throw theoretically might open up another spot in the division that they might be able to sneak into if, if things go well. If things and go well is, for them and poorly for Calgary, essentially. Yeah, and, and like this is I didn't get to this in the article, but like the point the point is, is this is a weak division. It was a weak division last year, it's a weak division this year, but the thing that I wanted to point out, and I just, you know, in, in, for sake of staying on topic and not getting into too many, too many words, what I was trying to say in, in that article and what I wanted to say was just that, like, look, like, that's all fine and dandy that the Canucks might have a window at the playoffs, but look at what Seattle's putting together with yeah. Shane Wright and Matt Beneers down the middle. Like, the Canucks don't have a Matt Beneers or a Shane Wright coming anytime soon, right? And you know, that's something you have to watch is these teams prospect pools. Trevor Zegras is only going to get better. The guy just had a rookie yeah. season to remember. Everybody's going to, yeah. everybody's going to, everybody laughs at Seattle until it's four years from now. Every other team in the Pacific sucks and they're, fu- and they're like mopping the floor with everyone else because they have Shane Wright and Matt Beneers down the middle and whatever other futures they might be able to, you know, acquire. Yeah, the next exactly. Years, right? And like, again, yeah. It's not even just Seattle. It's just like every team is building for the future. And look, yeah. to their credit, this is something the Canucks have at least talked about, right? They, <laughs> yeah. They've talked about it now. So at least they've done that and they've made it clear that they would like to, you know, be competitive and actually build a cup contender. Because, you know, like I wasn't trying to say in that article that, oh, the Pacific's wide open. Like everything's fine now. No, you still have, <laughs> yeah. to, you still have to knock the JT Miller situation out of the park like you need to get a good return on him if you're going to trade him and that return needs to be helping you long term for the future right and yeah. like the cuts need to start building for the future it can't be more of the race for eighth or whatever it is that they've been doing for the past eight or however many years it's been um with jim benning right you, you yeah. need to change your focus and you know i i think that's something that they will do but you know like if calgary trades max chuck and let's say they go for the future route right like they're going to get a King's ransom, right? Like totally. Chuck's yeah. only like what? 24 at the time or, or right now he's 24. Like you're going yeah. to get a King's ransom for that player. Right. And 
look, like if they go the route of getting all futures and that 2023 draft is so deep, guys, like if they get even just one first round pick for that draft, like that's going to help them like sooner than people think. And look, like you've still got a relatively cost controlled core with Elias Lindholm, who's I believe locked up for uh, the 23 season and then the season next um, after that one. Yeah. And you, you, you've got Jacob Markstrom who you're confident in. You've got Chris Tanev who obviously the flames are very confident in. And like, you know, they are happy with those veterans that they have. And you know, those guys aren't going to fall off a cliff. Great in the next coach two years. who like yeah. practically never loses, like has a losing yeah. season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. the other thing I pointed out is like, don't, don't, uh, you know, don't discount their ability to play defense under Daryl Sutter because look, like they were one and of the some, best defensive Some teams. other good, like like other good offensive players, like Andrew Mangiapane had what, like thirty five goals this season, this last season here, like yeah, my, yeah, like they have you know, pieces. Yeah, they have some good players. Goals. Like they didn't just they didn't just get to where they are just because of Gaudreau and Kachuk. Obviously, like it helps, but. Yeah, exactly. Well, absolutely. Like, yeah, you, like you're still losing 100 points yeah. from one player, yeah. right? Like that hurts. That's gonna hurt, obviously. But like, you go through their roster, they still have Tyler Toley, who I didn't even mention. You know, yeah. they've got Noah Hannafin. Their blue line is in very good shape, and that's mm-hmm. not really getting touched right now, right? So, look, like they're, they're in good shape. They've got three good goaltenders in Markstrom, Vladar, and Dustin Wolf coming soon. Like that was the best goalie in the AHL, right? For yeah. for all we say about Archer Seelove and how he's the second coming and everything, um, <laughs> you know, Dustin Wolf was the best goalie in the AHL last year. Yeah. So you know that's something to keep an eye on. Is like they've got they've got pieces all over, and it's not look like I I think obviously they're probably going to take a step back next season, like I mentioned in the article. But mm-hmm. you can't also just discount that and say, oh well, everything's fine. The Canucks are going to be fine for the next three years or whatever it's no next season is going to be good for them, but they need to still keep an eye on the future because you don't want one year of competing in a fun playoff run where maybe you go to the one game away from the Western conference final. Yeah. You don't want uh, a repeat of 2020 and, exactly. and and then the years after that. All right. Well, exactly. Uh, thanks a ton quads. You've, uh, you've stayed with us quite a lot longer than I know you intended to. So we'll let you go now, but uh, anything you want to plug before you head out. Go read Canucks Army. We've got a lot of good contributors there. Uh, Cody Severson's been crushing it lately. Uh, you know, I, I can't shout out everybody at once, but, like, you know, we've got a lot of really good contributors there. Um, shout out to Clarissa. Clarissa getting yeah. the Canucks Sports and Entertainment higher. Great. Um, uh, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Love to yeah. see it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I okay, before I close out, I hope mm-hmm. you listen to this, but yeah. I want to tell the story of how I hired Clarissa. Oh, great. <laughs> um, Please do. Yeah. So, I was on Hornby Island on vacation in 20, oh, what was the bubble? 2020. Yeah. I, okay. Yeah. So it was the pandemic uh, summer. I was in Hornby Island um, on vacation and the Cubs were playing in the bubble and I was watching it, you know, over, over like phone data or whatever. And we were just watching it <laughs> in this little cabin we were staying in. And she did right before the bubble, she did, um, she did that video where she has to leave Pedersen to remake a basketball That's right. video. Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So I, I messaged her and I said, Hey, would you like to write about this? And she was getting a ton of attention and people wanted to interview her. And I said, like in her bio, I think it's a communication student at SFU. So I was sure, like, yeah. hey, like, she can't be that bad of a writer. So I said like, Hey, here's an interesting take. Why don't you write a story about it? And she was like, yeah, sure. So she wrote a story on Connors Army. It's still there. Yeah. Um, about the you know, thing that about- she did. 
Yeah. Yeah. About how she, you know, what, where she was when she saw PD replied, what the response <laughs> was. And then afterwards yeah. I was like, oh, okay, that was great. Like, nice to work with you. And then it was just like, it just came up later that she was like good at social media and wanted to kind of get, yeah. get some work in there. And I was like, I mean, Faber and I don't do a great job on social media. So she, why she's been we, uh, the best person that like I would have killed to have no no shade to people that worked under me, but I would have killed to have Clarissa uh, when when I was working there. She's the probably the best person that's been on that job since uh, Grania, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I'll throw shade at the people that were working before. They were not this <laughs> great. Like, I, was, I was one of them, and I'm saying that. So, <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, like, Clarissa was really good at her job, guys, and that's why she got, you know, that's why she got noticed by the Canucks, and I, I'm really happy for her. She's, uh, She's, she's going to do awesome. And we obviously, we all know that. And damn, like, it was so funny. She's just so above and beyond. Cause I found this out later. It was like, I don't know if you guys have watched the office like six times over, like I have, but there's that sure. scene where Dwight leaves the company and Michael realizes that he was doing all this stuff behind the scenes that he didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once he's gone, he's like, Oh, he was, who was watering my plants. He was doing this for me. Uh, yes. Um, yes. <laughs> Clarissa had quit. Okay, so he'd given her two weeks, and you know, obviously, it was ending on good terms. I wouldn't be talking mm-hmm. about her like yeah. this if it wasn't. But then I just see because I post notifications to Connect Army, it's like, Happy birthday, Kyle Burroughs. And there's like a graphic that was clearly made by Clarissa because favorite, <laughs> I don't do that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I messaged her, I was like, Hey, did you like, did you do this? And she's like, Oh, yeah, I scheduled them all like a year in advance. And I was like, oh, okay. So she made all these graphics for every Canuck's birthday and just yeah. scheduled them to go out on their birthday. And I was <laughs> like, wow, okay. Like, you know, if that was me, I, you know, I would maybe be like, oh, I'm taking these with me and just delete them from the drafts. But she, uh, you know, she didn't do that. So props to Clarissa. That was awesome. Yeah, no, she's the best. And my, my, my favorite like bit over last season was like the one, I think, I think it was like, three times over the entire time she had that job she would like mess something up like putting out a, a graphic with Tyler Watt on it like right <laughs> after he got traded or whatever and I would always like like every time it happened I was just like Canucks are going downhill like <laughs> no she's the best uh, she felt so bad about that <laughs> oh man no 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 God, it was funny all right man thanks for thanks for joining us we uh we got to get to some uh heavy stuff now so Thanks for being here for the fun part. Yeah, thanks for letting me stay for thanks, the fun Quads. part. I'm, I'm glad we got to chat. It was all, always a pleasure joining you guys. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll have you back again soon. Cheers, guys. All right. Well, uh, well, that was fun. That, that was, was fun. The exact opposite of that. Now, yeah. Now to talk about some extremely shitty things. Um, I want, thanks again uh, to to Quads for for showing up on very late notice uh, to fill in for Vias. Um, but, uh, th- yeah, we do have a few more like kind of house, house cleaning slash, um, just unfortunate, like uh, dark, uh, territory to, to delve into here. So, um, I will, I think this is the first time I've ever done it this way, but, uh, it's, uh, it's, and it's actually weirdly convenient. Like, okay, we are going to talk about, uh, uh, three different stories somehow, pertaining to sexual assault misconduct and if you don't want to hear about that just turn the episode off right now that's what we're going to talk about for the next like 20 or so minutes um uh, if you don't want to stick around for that i absolutely do not blame you thanks for listening and uh we'll see you next week
yeah, uh, or probably not listening to the fun part of the episode. Yeah, probably not next week, probably more like two weeks or whatever, because it's the off season. But um, so the uh, the first order of business on this is uh, I think we'll start with the Hockey Canada lawsuit, because that's kind of the um, the one that I feel like we've like we haven't quite like touched on as much as we should. Um, and I, I, there was one specific thing that I wanted to address. I will never, that I have the most like things to say about it. That's great. That's I'm, I'm I mean, I don't have much to say about it, but like, it's actually, I actually have have a thing to say. Yeah. I, I, I don't have necessarily that much to say on it other than to just kind of update people on, well, the first thing I want to do is issue like kind of a semi correction, um, here. Like I will never apologize for baselessly speculating because that's literally what the whole show is about and i like doing it but um i will apologize for baselessly speculating on faulty grounds and i said in a previous episode i made like allusions to uh this having this the incident um that uh the hockey canada lawsuit um that's now been settled i should add i don't know if we've talked about that on the show yet but um the the central incident there which is a horrific, um, you know, gang sexual assault of a young woman by members of uh, Hockey Canada, Hockey Canada 2018 World Junior Team, I believe it was. Um, I mentioned that like the way to sort of like follow the breadcrumbs on this was to look at the city where it happened and match it with the team. And this this was based on a misunderstanding of the story. I didn't realize that this was like a thing that happened at a hockey gala in Hockey Canada Gala in London. I assumed it was some kind of like um, uh, regional, like doing whatever kind of get together, like publicity stunt thing or something. And that it would and that it likely involved like members of the London Knights that were also on the uh world junior team and that's just a misunderstanding of what happened so it's now um starting to come out like they're doing i don't know what why this is exactly but they're doing the blind item thing where they're like well it's two players who were born in this year and six players who were born in this year like i don't understand i know the terms of the settlement are what they are but like if you're a journalist and you have the names like why don't you just like why don't you just fucking tweet them out like i don't so you know, basically like, speculate i wonder if that is like how they're identified in the settlement somehow yeah maybe um yeah that's, but again that's this possible. is even more baseless speculation yeah even i mean how does that narrow how does that narrow it down any more than members of the 2018 world juniors team i i mean it does with regards to the um to the one year because there's only three players um oh so, so two of the three born that two year. of the three born in that year and one of them has denied it but we're we're reaching a point where so many have denied it now that some of them are obviously lying um right it is interesting there are like there were a couple um who notably like were contacted for comment and said no comment which is in, which is interesting, like, um, because you know it's settled now, and like no one can say anything, so like you could just be like, um, so no, it's but okay, so yeah. the three, okay, yeah, um, you know, it's, do your own research as we as yeah. we always say, but um, I guess the the big the documents are out there, you know, exactly. Uh, there's a few there's a few different threads to pull on with this, but um, I guess one uh. 
the the Hockey Canada is like reopening a an internal investigation that's going to be conducted by a third party. Uh, another is that the London uh, police. I don't know if that's a branch of the RCMP or if they have their own police department in, in London, Ontario, certainly big enough to have their own police department. But these things, you know, I I I find that like size and um, RCMP versus local PD um, don't always necessarily correlate. Um, but yeah, the London police are, are also opening an investigation into this. Um, and I, I think, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of moving parts, uh, they've, there seem to actually be facing consequences, which is great. Um, yeah. Scotiabank pulling out some of their, uh, t- Tim Hortons, I believe like big, big sponsors pulling out and the government of Canada freezing their funding um you know all things that have very real world financial material consequences for their for the organization um but i guess in terms of like things that we can actually discuss and and things that are important to highlight the big story here is uh the revelation of essentially a slush fund in excess of 15 million dollars um paid for by registration fees which, which is just the most absolute yeah because like vile i mean all of this stuff is vile but the fact that you the fact that you have the foresight to know that you need to have a 15 million dollar slush fund yeah to and and keep this quiet to, despicable to, to be fair like um it's not like it was a slush fund like it's not like it was like called the sexual assault fund or anything like it was called i mean in a in true like truly this word gets over overused but truly orwellian fuckingly uh named uh national equity fund um the this fund was is put aside for a lot of things that are like normal to have a fund for like uh dealing with things that aren't insurable uh, different kinds of injuries or like mental health the kind of stuff that like yeah is good to have self-insuring a, a for. for those things yeah um but also you know regardless of whether or not the um the fund was intended for this uh, a huge chunk of this fund which is once again paid for largely by registration fees has been used to basically settle sexual assault lawsuits which is yeah as you said just the like this is chicago blackhawks level shit and it's happening on a national government funded until fucking two days ago level um and it's honestly it's worse than it's it's actually worse than the chicago blackhawks stuff honestly um because more people are involved i think you at this point you have to say it's there's been a cover-up essentially or there was a cover-up and and we also know that there's way more incidents that we don't know about because as i mentioned in a prior episode um they have stated now on the record that they deal with like one of these a year basically um right again for a national team like and this is this is a, a wild one for me as somebody who's um you know just grown up my entire life paying attention to hockey and talking about it with so many so many different people with so many differing levels of interest and like up until these revelations hockey canada's reputation was absolutely sterling like 
a, a, a point of national pride that I, I think is like, honestly, like hard to compare with any sport in any other country. Like I, I, it, it, it's, it's hard to think of like baseball in Cuba is up there. Um, you know, hockey in Russia, in the Soviet union, like, uh, era, you know, Russian five era or whatever, like it, it ranks, it, it literally ranks, uh, uh, up there with like, you know, uh, one party, like state rule uh, in terms of um, connection to the average, the average sort of like citizen connection to the government, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, yeah, I, there isn't much you can say other than the, the obvious, which is that this is all horrifying, but um, uh, I mean, they announced yeah. today, they, they, you know, released their fucking apology or whatever, which isn't worth the paper it's written on. Um, and then they also announced, I think, either today or yesterday that uh, they will not use that fund for this anymore, um, which is just like, I don't know, like, it's uh, very like, why do you have to like, why yeah. are you in the situation that you have to deny that or have it, to change your procedures? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, I, I, this is a wild one because I don't know how they fix this. Like, uh, I, this is uh it goes Real back bad. to what several people have said about just like the culture of the sport in the country, the culture of the sport, especially, I mean, obviously to whatever extent this is and the culture is obviously worse at the higher levels, mm-hmm. but like it absolutely is a part of the culture of the sport. And it like, how do you root that out? How do you, speaking of hockey in the Soviet Union, how do you purge yeah. this? Yeah. How do you purge this? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, that's, that's, uh, as always, we'll stay, uh, updated on this and, you know, comment on it as it, as the, um, story develops. I mean, um, I think at this point they're probably, I mean, God, you know, knock on wood, I don't think there's going to be too much more, um, bombshell, horrible things coming out. Like I, I, at this point, um, it's hard to imagine how it could get worse. Like once again, knock on wood. Um, but I think we're going to see more consequences. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stay updated on that. Um, the next thing that I wanted to bring up is literally breaking news. Uh, I opened this up. Um, basically. Yeah. This was posted today at 9 4, 24 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So what's that? Six? That's like six here? 624? Yeah. Yeah. yeah six so literally, uh, yeah, like two hours ago, this was posted. Um, this is a story from CBC uh, that I'll just qu- quickly read through because there's not much to say other than just, you know, the, the basic details here. Um, story from CBC by Jonathan Gatehouse and Albert Lung or Lung, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, uh, titled Civil Suit Accuses Edmonton Oilers Owner of Paying Teenage Ballerina for Sex. And then the subtitle is Daryl Katz Denies Allegations, Says $75,000 Was for Film Project. Which is, I mean, like, I, that, this is one of those things where it's like, I could see how those two things could get conflated very easily. Uh, like, you know, oh, I'm paying you for, you know, this 
other thing. Unreal, yeah. But like, if this is just a straight up denial, oh, it's it was for a film project is not the thing I would pick because that also sounds sus. But yeah. regardless, um, uh, just reading here from the top of the article, a newly filed U.S. civil suit claims Daryl Katz, the billionaire owner of the Edmonton Oilers, paid a teenage ballet dancer $75,000 in exchange for, quote, her sexual favors. The unproven allegations can't come in response to a sexual abuse law- lawsuit launched by seven aspiring ballerinas in 2021 against Mitchell Taylor Button, a dance teacher, and his wife, Dusty Button. God, what are with these names? Uh, once a principal member of the Boston Ballet. Um, earlier this month, Taylor Button and his wife filed a third-party counterclaim in U.S. District Court in Nevada, admitting to a ugh, consensual thruple sexual relationship with Sage Humphreys, the lead plaintiff in the suit. The cross-claim says they're, quote, loving and supportive affair. These people are absolute That's just deranged. Uh, yeah, absolutely deranged. Uh, affair began in 2017 when Humphreys was 18, but alleges she had been involved in three prior sexual relationships as an underage teen with much older men, including cats. Uh, the third party claim seeks to hold those men liable for any damages with the filing stating that if there's a price to be paid, it should be paid by those who actually engaged in illegal acts with her fair. Uh, a lawyer representing cats denied the allegations. Um, I will just quickly, I, I did not actually read this ahead of time because I saw it right as we started just double checking to see. Um, okay. Yeah. No, there is more about cats. The lawsuit makes a number of unsubstantiated allegations about Katz Humphreys and her family. Humphreys was literally a child prostitute to a billionaire, the claim says, and her mother assisted her in laundering the money she was paid and in trafficking her to Katz. Among the exhibits attached to the filing are screenshots of texts allegedly exchanged between Humphreys and Katz, as well as an iPhone contact under the billionaire's name, listing a number with a 780 area code, most commonly associated with the Edmonton area. If my guys send you funds, will you spend it on slash keep it for yourself? Katz allegedly wrote. And just between us, question mark, even though you are wise beyond your years, given our respective ages, it would be taken the wrong way. That is fucking oh, damning. That's Holy like shit. That's like some classic grooming shit. Grooming too. shit. Yeah. That's like actually grooming shit. I know that word's been like oh, yeah. rapidly approaching gaslight levels of like of absolute like, meaninglessness. Yeah, totally. But that is actually gaslighting. Yeah. That or, or grooming, grooming. You mean. Yeah. Fuck absolutely. Yeah. No, that that is like that is textbook. Like uh yeah, you seem much older over Discord. You know, um, yes, just between us, Humphreys reportedly replies, okay, I will have one of my guys email you. He will send you 50K, says the message attributed to Katz. The court filing says Katz was 53 at the time while the dancer was 17. Um, Then there's a bunch of stuff of his lawyer denying it. Um, uh, There is a uh, mention of um, a film project that they were involved in. Uh, called Tackling Romeo. Uh, it is in development, according to IMDb. Um, yeah, uh, the rest of this mostly just seems to be, uh, you know, uh, other, um, mostly just uh, denials and uh, some backstory on, oh, uh, this is also mildly interesting. This is not the first time the cats has been the subject of sex for money allegations. In 2017, RJ Cipriani, a professional gambler, filed a defamation suit against GF Bunting and Co., a public relations crisis management firm that was then representing cats. 
The suit alleged that Katz propositioned Cipriani's wife, model and actress Grace Santo, during a Hawaii photo shoot, offering her $20,000 a day for sex. Um, And yeah, it goes on from there. So apparently this uh, behavior, this sort of Epstein-style behavior is not, uh, you know, uh, not completely out of character for Katz. But I mean, um, I guess on the bright side, like it's nice to have uh, an NHL owner's crimes actually be made public and actually be able to have something to point to, to be like, Oh yeah, these guys are actual like demon pedophiles. Um, And not just like, you know, uh, figurative, you know, figurative demon pedophiles. Right. Um, But yeah, that, that's a wild one. Um, We'll obviously see where that goes. Um, I mean, I, I've kind of said this for a long time. Like it, it felt like it was sort of um, only a matter of time before an NHL owner, like ended up on the flight logs or something um, because, you know, based on what we fucking know about billionaires. Uh, but uh, yeah, truly, truly horrendous shit somehow as bad as any of the other things that we're going to talk about here. Um and yeah, I mean, couldn't have happened to a better guy, I guess. Anything uh, to add on that? Nope. All right. So luckily, that, we have one last thing, and then we can be done with this. And this shit. one is, yeah, this one is. I think it's a little bit. Um, I don't want to say easier to swallow, but there are at least uh, there is at least one kind of uh, lighthearted moment where we can at least point and laugh at the uh, mis, you know, much deserved misfortune of uh, a former cult icon here in um in on the west coast but obviously the trial the sexual assault trial of jake Vertanen began uh this week and um there's a lot of details that have been coming out not a lot of i i think necessarily new information in terms of the allegations themselves Um, But I did want to highlight some of the details that have come out of the trial. These are from a tweet thread by Sarah McDonald, who um, no relation. uh, Yeah, no relation. Uh, That's at S McDonald, M-A-C spelling of McDonald. Uh, So at S McDonald uh, underscore is the handle. Um, I would say definitely follow her. If you are on uh, Twitter and you want more information on this, her reporting has been great. Uh, it's been really responsible and it's been really detailed. And she's just sort of tweeted out like every relevant thing that's happened. Starting here, day two of the trial has commenced and Crown has a few more questions for the complainant in this case. The accuser is being asked about her interactions with Vertanen at the Calgary Stampede in 2017 where the pair first met. So this is new information. Um, the the uh, complainant and who is not named and Vertanen met at the Calgary Stampede in 2017, uh, which I, I believe she was uh, not quite 18 when this happened. Now Vertanen in 2017 would have also been quite young. Um, so it's not like, uh, we're not talking about like an, a 25 year old Jake Vertanen and a, and a 17 year old girl, uh, in this instance, not that it necessarily matters, but, um, all right. What is clearly becoming a key sticking point for crown in this case is this complainant's testimony that she believed Vertanen, who was on the Canucks roster at the time resided in Abbotsford when they met up the night of the alleged incident. 
The complainant has testified several times that she was not aware of her tan and had access to a hotel room in Vancouver on the night of September 26, 2017. She said she was surprised when the pair parked outside the West in Bayshore, where the alleged assault took place. The accusers being asked by Crown why she didn't report the alleged sexual assault to police earlier. Um, the accuser says it took her time to come up with what allegedly happened. Reporting it would make it all real, she says. So uh, very reasonable um, yeah, I feel like that's question. one of those things where, like, we've heard this a million times that this is one of the like, there are many reasons why people don't report, but this is one of them. Yeah, it's one of them that is repeatedly a thing that happens. Like, in many cases, this is one of the reasons people don't report. <laughs> she also reveals that she did speak with the Canucks uh, during their internal investigation under an alias. Defense Brock Martland, um, that is an extremely like asshole lawyer name now begins his cross-examination of the complainant. He begins his line of questioning by casting doubt on the accuser's memory, pointing out she said, I think, in her testimony. One example defense points to is the accuser's recall of the vehicle Vertanen was driving when he picked her up on the night of blah, blah, blah. Yesterday, the accuser said she believed it to be a gray Dodge Charger. She said she couldn't recall for sure, though. Now, um, this was apparently something, like, as is always the case in incidents like, like these, um, the defense is picking apart every minor detail that does not matter in this woman's story. Um, but I will say there are photos from 2017 of Jake Vertanen with a white Dodge Charger. And honestly, if she got that close to remembering a car she drove in once five years ago that is actually very impressive also like, every single dodge looks extremely similar they're like yeah yeah absolutely yeah and, and also like, if I, you're not a car person do you know how hard it is to tell cars apart if you're not a car person oh god yeah I, like if okay so 2017 if you asked me what car my dad drove me to young stars 2017 in, i couldn't fucking tell you and that's like and, and the thing is, is my dad definitely drove me in that car way more times than just that. Um, and yeah, I couldn't fucking I couldn't even tell you the make. She was able to get almost the same color of Dodge Charger. Like that is pretty credible to me. Um, and if it's nighttime, great. Yeah, of course. Like white, yeah, absolutely. This is the one kind of part where um, like that sort of there's no like there's no silver lining to be found in any of this, but this getting out is one of those things that like makes me a little bit happy because just because it's like, you know, very rare for justice to ever be served in this, but these stories getting out just like, I hope twist the knife a little bit. Um, the jury has just been shown cell phone video of then forward for the Canucks, Jake Vertanen, intoxicated to the point of vomiting at this Calgary stampede in 2017. Also in the footage is the complainant holding a bowl, which Vertanen was vomiting into. In questioning about the Paris 2017 meeting in Calgary, defense insinuates the accuser knew Vertanen was a high earning NHL player, boo, thus her alleged interest. Defense says Vertanen was drunk to the point of vomiting and urinating himself, calling him disgusting. Now, this is amazing because this is his lawyers saying this. Like, so their, their defense here is why would you ever be interested in being friends with? Because here's the thing is that according to her side of the story, like she just wanted to be friends with this guy or like, I don't know, 
it, I'm not going to put words in her mouth or whatever, but the night of the, the uh, alleged assault, she was not interested in sleeping with him at all. And she makes that very clear. Um, so we can assume that her relationship with Virginia was, you know, at least meant initially to be just like, a, oh, we're friends, you know, like, oh, it's cool yeah. to know a hockey player or whatever. And his defense attorneys, um, his defense attorneys are saying, saying that this guy was so disgusting. Why would you want to hang out with him? Yeah. Why would you ever be interested in, in any kind of relationship with him whatsoever, even as a friend? Um, which is, and this will be a theme as we continue, but like an amazing thing for your own defense attorneys to say, this is literally like one of those, those things from like a, a fucking like courtroom satire or whatever, where somebody was like, look, is my client a disgusting hog? Is he racist? Does he deny the Holocaust? Would I spit on him? If I saw him on the street, yes, but he did not commit this crime. I rest my case. Um, and like it, it th- this theme comes back here because most of like a, a good chunk of their defenses here of Vertanen is basically that he's awful. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, in cross-examination of Vertanen's accuser, defense is asking why she went up to suite 526 in the Western Bayshore on the night of the alleged sexual assault. The complainant responds, I was not confident enough to say anything. I was 18 years old. And this is where, you know, things kind of take a turn here. There's some there's some heavy stuff in here. Um, defense is now showing the jury recently recorded footage taken inside the Western Bayshore Hotel. It's cell phone footage taken from the vantage point of someone walking through the hotel's lobby. Defense is trying to demonstrate the accuser had ways to leave. Uh, I still can't believe that this kind of stuff is like allowed. Um, yeah, it's I mean, completely irrelevant. It, it, like, it, yes, the hotel has doors. I this don't is know one of those things where, like, I understand that. I understand that, like, especially especially because like these cases so rarely ever end the way they should, anyways. So like, but like, I understand that you need to like everyone deserves a fair trial and they deserve a fair defense and all of that. But like, this is the kind of stuff that from my experience watching law and order and shit should be like struck down on the grounds of relevance. Like, you know, um, regardless. The accuser repeatedly testified she understood Vertanen was living in Abbotsford when the pair met up. She testifies she was unaware Vertanen had access to a room at the Western Bayshore while he was playing with the Canucks and was surprised to end up there. Defense challenges the complainant as to why she would have spent the night in the same bed as Vertanen after he allegedly sexually assaulted her. Defense, what were you wearing as you slept? Complainant, underwear. Defense, anything else? Complainant, I don't think so. Once again, like I, I, I'm sorry to share these details with people, but like I, it's necessary. Like people need to know what this guy was using his fucking NHL career to get away with. And also the way that, you know, ultimately the person who fucking pays for this happening is more like regardless of what happens to Jake for the person who really pays for this fucking happening more, even in more ways than one and more, more times than just once is the, the complainant, the woman that this happened to um, defense continues to press the complainant as to why she would have shared a bed with for because I felt obligated. I felt like I had to, I felt scared. I was very scared and didn't know what to do. I wasn't thinking rationally. 
A key sticking point for the defense and cross-examination today and Tuesday is the complainant's recall of what she's referred to as a balcony in the suite. She had testified Vertanen came up behind her, kissed her neck while she was looking over the balcony. Defense is now showing photos of the suite to the jury, claiming there is no conventional balcony, just a sliding glass door with a railing. Complainant responds, that's what I consider a balcony. This was a sticking point in cross-examination late. Tuesday. I would ask. Th- this is one of those I would things. Say, that- I, like this might come off flippant, yeah. but like ask the Western Bay Shore. I'm sure they call it a balcony. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and it, also, what else would you call that? Well, well, yeah, and but this is one of those things where I mean, like, I'm not. I would never fucking try to predict anything when it comes to court cases, specifically sexual assault court cases. But I would say it is probably a good sign that this is the best shit they can come up with, um, because jurors, you know, even being who who they generally tend to be. I can't imagine would find these kinds of arguments particularly convincing, even even as, you know, not representative of the general population, as juries tend to be. Defense now taking aim at the complainant's previous testimony that she and Vertanen watched Netflix before the alleged sexual assault. Defense suggests the Western Bayshore did not have Netflix capability on its televisions on the night the, sp- the pair spent there in 2017. And this is one of those things that's amazing because it's like, you know, nobody is arguing that they were there together that night in the hotel. Literally, what is your point? Like, first of all, like, oh yeah, we watched Netflix is like the same as basically at this point, the same as saying we watch TV. Um, yeah. Like, it, yeah, five years ago, you might slightly, you might not recall the exact fucking streaming service you watched. And then second of all, people bring their own laptops with Netflix to hotel rooms all the time. Yeah, like, especially, and like, that's the thing is, especially five years ago before it was ubiquitous to have Netflix connectivity, like Netflix built into the hotel room. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So continuing on here, defense asks complainant how she felt when Bertanen declined to drive her back home in the morning, citing he had to go to Canucks practice, giving her cash for a cab instead, more money than she would have needed. Complainant, I felt degraded that he could just toss money at me and leave. Defense, did you feel like you were being used for sex? Complainant, yeah. Defense, did you feel like it was for him only about sex? Complainant, absolutely. Uh, Skipping ahead once again. Defense is taking aim at the complainant's initial filing of a civil complaint in this case rather than a criminal one. Um, Was she motivated by money, he asks. The complainant responds she initially did not know that the civil case would be separate from a criminal case. Um, This is an unfortunate thing that I feel comfortable uh, because nobody's going to know where I heard it from, so it doesn't matter. But I've uh, heard a little bit about the lawyer, and it's kind of unfortunate the the lawyer that's representing the complainant he has kind of a reputation of he used to be a um icbc guy right Mm -hmm. chasing money from icbc um i shouldn't say chasing money like you know yeah it's it's a legitimate thing to do but uh that was kind of his um his bread and butter and obviously that's kind of dried up um with the like increase in no fault uh or equal fault whatever how that i forget how that works or whatever but um 
Uh, but apparently his new thing is kind of ambulance chasing sexual assault cases. And so it sounds to me like um, he didn't really brief her effectively on like how this stuff works. And I mean, she's at this point, like a still in her early 20s, she's a young woman. And like, you know, I wouldn't expect the average person to necessarily know the difference between a civil complaint and a criminal case like that's that's getting into like um you know inside baseball sh- lawyer shit um and so that's uh, really unfortunate um defense pressing accuser on alleged financial motivation behind civil suit her i didn't even know how much money would come from that him well it would be millions her the amount of trauma and stress i've been through it isn't worth any amount of money um and finally, uh, getting to to the end of it here, I know there's a lot of info here, but it all felt important and relevant to me. Uh, Jake Vertanen's accuser gets emotional on the stand during cross-examination when asked by defense why she didn't invent an excuse like having a yeast infection or menstruation, to- things that would totally uh, dissuade a potential rapist, obviously. Um, to avoid a sexual interaction with Vertanen on the night of September 26, 2017. This is probably the most heinous of the various uh, terrible lines of questioning that the uh, defense offered up for the complainant. Um, complainant responds, growing emotional. I thought saying, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And physically pushing Vertanen off of me was enough. What else did I have to say? And that's where the thread ends. Um I, I point all of this stuff out, I think mainly, honestly, to, to uh, as evidence for what I believe to be like, this is about as credible as you can get with this stuff. Um, and that's just, and that's to say like, you, you know, as, a, as painting with the broadest possible brush as possible, uh, you should believe people who tell you they've been sexually assaulted, but even in the realm of these sort of things, like we have a, uh, a woman, uh, like a sober, um, very uh, like surprisingly detailed total recall of everything that happened. And um, I also think that this woman uh, is like incredibly brave and, just absolutely fantastic on the stand in a way that is like really, really hard in a situation like this. And so I just, I just want to highlight that. Um, I think that, yeah, she's not only uh, an incredibly credible um, accuser, but like an amazing witness, like, uh, and she is based on at least what I've read here in the thread from uh, Sarah McDonald, I think, very brave and very strong on the stand to um you know respond to this it frankly it's just stupid asinine line of questioning from the defense and obviously i hope that justice is served but i also think that it's um yeah a, a good sign ultimately i hope that this is the the best they can do because it's it's not particularly convincing yeah and I, and I, I mean, and I, I say mean, that like, obviously they've just fundamentally, ob- they just admitted that she yeah. didn't like resist hard enough, which, which is never implicitly, yeah. that, which is 
giving up the ground. It's giving up the ghost that he did indeed commit this. Yeah. And obviously, you know, like it's going to be pretty fucking hard to convince us, but even just your regular old layman, like there's, um, there's, uh, there's eight men and four women on the jury, which is, you know, that's one of those things that that raises an eyebrow for me. Like you couldn't get, you couldn't, couldn't get even amounts of men and women at least like anyways, yeah. Um, but like, I just don't, I do not think the average person would be particularly compelled by any of this. And, um, I, I, you know, when the best thing you could do, like one thing I left out is like, they found a post where she said, fuck Bo Horvat. She's a, her family are flames fans. Um, and I guess they, I don't know what they were trying to do with that. Like prove that she knew more about the Canucks than she like acted like she did or something like I, Regardless. Or she flames like agent. Oh, she's doing yeah, yeah. It's a psyop by fucking Matthew Kachuk or whatever. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, this is not a great sign for the defense. And obviously, uh, if if it doesn't go her way, it's it'll be purely just you know, um, reasonable doubt shit. But uh, yeah, like I mean, uh, I think at least. With regards to the court of public opinion, this should seal it pretty hard that like, um, you know, it, this sounds very bad. And uh, the defense, it has not come up with a, like a, a credible retort to the, to the, the allegations. Um, and so obviously uh, I think this is about as detailed as we'll ever get on it, but uh, we will stay updated and, you know, hopefully there's a positive conclusion to this soon. But um, do you have anything to add on that before we close out? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah, fair That's enough. That's enough of this. Yeah, for sure. Uh, way more time spent on it than I than I like, really. But I just felt that all of this stuff, you know, not everybody's on Twitter. Not everybody's reading this stuff. Not everybody wants to read all this stuff. Uh, certainly sifting through all the uh, gory details and everything. So, you know, I'll do that for you. Um, uh, sorry to end on a downer note. Um, pretty obvious. The, there's a trio of people you can, or organizations, I guess you could send your hate mail to this week, but, uh, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for sticking with us through all the, you know, all the shitty stuff. Uh, hope to get back on, uh, uh you know, happier trains of thought in the near future. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at fail son at fail son mcdonald you can follow elliot at moose kayak follow the show uh all on twitter at roxy fever subscribe to the patreon patreon.com slash roxy fever we got our second on the part. patreon we say we do fun things like yeah we the watch patreon silly is, movies yeah we watch silly movies with which we will there will be more movie stuff coming up soon um we uh we just did a two-part series on the goldie graveyard that was a lot of fun and also just a little plug for our, our friends over at the broadcast. Uh, they have a Patreon as well. And Elliot and I joined them to discuss the 1996, I believe, or 95, maybe uh, TV movie net worth about Ted Lindsay and the first uh, attempt to start an NHL PA in the uh, late 50s. We will also be doing something related to that on the page on our Patreon feed pretty soon, but go check that out uh, over at the, uh, I believe it's just Patreon, patreon.com slash broadcast. If not, 
I'm sure you can find it pretty easily with uh, those search terms. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you real soon. And um, I, for those of you that missed uh, Vias, um, here I was just. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, these are really good. Okay, bye.